Well, good morning, family. How are you today? Would you stand up and wave across the room at somebody? Let them know that you love them, that God is good. Father, you are welcome in this place. Thank you that you're always with us and you inhabit our praises. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
thank you for the victory that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. That that name of Jesus is bigger than any situation in any circumstance. That there is no battle, there is no enemy that is bigger than that name of Jesus. Would you say amen this morning? Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, Father, we praise you. Praise you, praise you, praise you. That there is power in that name of Jesus, that no matter the circumstance, no matter the enemy, that that name of Jesus is bigger, that it pushes us over because we have overcome the world through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we lift up every circumstance in this building this morning, every battle that we are facing, every problem that we are facing, every person that we may be facing. God, that Jesus is the key to our victory that that name of Jesus is full of life and full of power, so we speak Jesus into that situation. We speak life. We speak the word of God, Jesus, into that situation. Hallelujah.
and feet to carry your word to carry your mercy to carry your forgiveness to carry your power to carry your miracles throughout this earth hallelujah hallelujah praise you heavenly father oh that precious name of jesus oh jesus family would you lift your hands this morning would you just give him everything your fears, your worries. Praise Him for your victories. Hallelujah. All the things that you prayed for are coming to pass. Hallelujah. By that name of Jesus. The God who never changes. The God of more than enough. The God who never changes. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Nisi. Hello. 
praise you, Father God. Welcome in this place. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, the God that never changes. Praise you, Heavenly Father. Praise you, God. Oh 
Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Blessed be your name. We lift you up. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you. We thank you for redeeming us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who dwells in us and who gives us strength Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the supernatural at work in us and through us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bakashte gresa fakana sobogo e falandeste cristamba de kenshem brasa fini de kenji gidibiji. Vistoliam pressing cancel feral stone leleve ahaya sabadaka. De romang, de romanga, gereminsi, rensevidi, raba castellian tongarebeshtan cressa fayando hot salaravea. And so walk in the Spirit in this day and in this hour. For know that it is the Spirit that quickens and the flesh profits nothing. Haha. <laughs> so walk in the love of God and walk in the Word of God, demonstrating His love, His power. His faithfulness to the world. Hold steady. Hold fast. Be unmoved. Be unmoved. Ha <laughs> ha. Cling to His promises. For He is faithful and He is true. So let his word abide in you. Such glory and peace and joy you will know in these days. <laughs> so be not afraid. For he is faithful and true. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our lives and as we gather together. You're so good. You're so faithful to us. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. Hallelujah. For Jesus is worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy is he. The faithful and the true Alpha Omega, beginning and the end. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we sing to you. Wonderful Jesus, 
Wonderful Lord of my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lanzibrivan sure di beston de Christa valamende de vi. Yendere se bravante da sala. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we worship you, we worship you, we worship, we just need to keep worshiping for a little more, we worship, we worship, we worship. Landri seva we worship Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed Jesus. Blessed Lord. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. There's nothing that brings the presence of God and manifests God's presence. When we lift up the name of Jesus and we just sing praise and adoration to him, it manifests the presence of God in our lives and in our midst like nothing else. Not singing about yourself but declaring who he is and worshiping the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I don't know how many of you, I just, I read something this last week. It was very interesting. <clears throat> That's why I'm sharing it. It was interesting. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Katherine Coleman. She, I've watched different uh, videos of her and in, in her meetings and in her crusades. Many years ago, I watched this and I noticed about her. She had so many miracles and healings in her ministry. And I noticed that her worship songs in her meetings, she talked about Jesus and she used the name of Jesus. And she sang to Jesus and she glorified Jesus. And it's interesting also how few songs in this day and age really don't use his name so much. And we should, shouldn't we? But anyway, this is what I wanted to share. When she died, uh, she told people what day she was going to die and the time of day she was going to die. I forget what it was. But anyway, she told that. And when she died... There was a strong presence, a fragrance of flowers. I think it was roses in the room. So much so that the nurse that was there and somewhere else, she was started bawling out one of the nurses and she said, I told you, you were not supposed to put any flower, flowers in that woman's room. And the nurse was like, I, we didn't. It just smells like that. The woman just died. 
And um, so anyway, one of the two of them, I don't remember which one, were so moved by her death and the glory that filled her death that they knew that God was real and they gave their life to Jesus. May our lives exude the love of Jesus and the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go. If we have the love of Jesus and the fragrance of Jesus in us and through us, people aren't going to get any fear or negativity or sadness. Hallelujah. But we're just going to exude and may we just exude the presence of Jesus. How much more in these days? Hallelujah. People are going to be able to tell the difference between darkness and light. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome to our church family who's watching online today. We're so glad we're not having any technical issues. Praise the Lord. It's been the first time, I think, in three or four weeks. Glory to God. <laughs> anyway, wave to Ben up there. Well, not to Ben, but to his camera and say hi to our church family watching and uh worshiping with us from home. After you've done that, you can uh, shake hands with or fist bump several people around you. Give them a warm welcome and God bless you. The kids are dismissed to their class. They can go to the back of the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you are here for the first time worshiping with us, we're glad that you, you came today. And if that's the case, if you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand so we could uh, give you a proper welcome, we're glad that you're here. Nobody. Okay. Well, welcome to those who are here today. Amen. Ladies, if you um, attended our paint and pastry last week, um, we have a gift for you that we meant to give to you on that day, uh, but it wasn't in. So if you'll just stop by uh, the table uh, for the men's breakfast, uh, the outside of the sanctuary, you, Jackie Brooks is there, and she will give you your gift if you attended. Praise the Lord. Um, tonight, we're going to have a, a, just a night of worship here at the church at 6 o'clock. So join us. Just going to keep enjoying the presence of Jesus together. And then men, on June the 12th, um, there's going to be a breakfast, uh, and Pastor Mike is going to be sharing from his heart. It'll be a great time of fellowship. You can pick up your tickets at the table outside the uh, entrance to the church. As you leave, you can pay by cash, check, or credit card. Praise the Lord. Then parents and grandparents put on your... Um, calendar June 19 through 23 uh, for Kids Vacation Bible School. That's ages 4 through 10. It's going to be here at the church, and uh, it's going to be a great week together. Praise the Lord. We're looking forward to it and excited about that. Then as a reminder, I think everybody's family here, so you remember the ways to give. Um, and so it's up on the screen as a reminder. Uh, we have had uh, $5,500 come in toward our um, seniors, um, retired ministers, and we're going to be sending them a uh, check this week and a letter just telling them how much we appreciate their faithfulness to God. I think everybody knows about that as well. Um, today is, or tomorrow is Memorial Day, and... Um, it is a time to remember um, those who have uh, died in the service of our country. 
And so we are going to show you a video. However, before we do that, I just had on my heart to make it kind of come to life. Um, They're going to put up on the screen a picture. I think it's going to show the gravestone first of this uh, young man, specialist Christopher Horton. He died in 2011. Um, He was in the Army. He was a, oh dear, like a sharpshooter in the army and served in Afghanistan. Uh, we're, Mike and I are close to his parents, and so we knew his family. And so we just wanted to, to honor him today. That's what Memorial Day is about, really honoring the young men who served in their country. I think they have a picture of him up there as well. And then they even named a highway after specialist Christopher Horton. And so um, for the sake of his family and, um, and then the other young men, your young men who have died in the service of our country, there have been a million and a half who have fought for our freedom. We, we honor them today. Now, the guys are going to roll a video um, just, um, just honoring those now. My fellow Americans, Memorial Day is a day of ceremonies and speeches. Throughout America today, we honor the dead of our wars. We recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. The unknown soldier who has returned to us today and whom we lay to rest is symbolic of all our missing sons. About him, we may well wonder as others have. Did he marry? Did he have children? Did he look expectantly to return to a bride? We'll never know the answers to these questions about his life. We do know, though, why he died. He saw the horrors of war and bravely faced them. Certain his own cause and his country's cause was a noble one, that he was fighting for human dignity, for free men everywhere. Let us, if we must, debate the lessons learned at some other time. Today, we simply say with pride, thank you, dear son. May God cradle you in his loving arms. Family, would you stand with us? Oh, beautiful. 
for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plains. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Praise you, Heavenly Father, that you continue to lead and guide this nation, that Jesus, you would be the center of everything that we do. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord, and we are so grateful. at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus cause nothing Jesus. 
we magnify you we exalt you we thank you father for your hand that's upon our nation we ask father that you would expose the plans and the workings of the enemy so that the truth would be known father we thank you for your presence we thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us Open our eyes, Lord, to see 
who we are in Christ like never before. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about some end time things. In verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same also shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. A lot of things in these verses that we could talk about and we have talked about to some degree over the last number of months. But I think the, the most important thing that Jesus is telling us about the end is in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Folks, the, the preaching of the word and the operation of the word, the goodness of God, the miraculous working power of God the healings and the miracles that Jesus did to show us the will of the Father, all those things are going to be a sign of the end. I'll have to admit that over the last, well, it's really just been over the last five or six years, I guess, have I come to an understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, and therefore the, the gospel of the kingdom of God, has always been something that's been indefinite or intangible in my thinking. We know that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and we know that anybody that comes to him and opens their heart to him can be saved, and thank God for that. But Jesus delegated to his disciples the responsibility to preach the kingdom of God. Now, there were things that Jesus upbraided the disciples for their unbelief, for example. And they were all, of course, unsaved men because Jesus had not been to the cross yet. And so the idea of the disciples preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, I always just assumed that he was talking about preaching about him. I always assumed that Jesus' disciples just went and told everybody about Jesus being the Messiah everywhere that they went. But that could not be the case. It could not be the case. In Matthew chapter 16, 
Beginning in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the knowledge of Jesus, certainly not Peter being the rock, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples to not tell that he's the Christ. Well, that does away with the idea that the disciples were preaching Jesus. The Bible tells us in several places about the importance of the gospel of the kingdom of God. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Matthew says this again in another instance, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, we see that the kingdom of God is made up of the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, and healing of every sickness and every manner of disease among the people. And there's another place over in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus is talking to his, uh, the religious councils, the Pharisees, and so forth. And he identifies that God would take the, the kingdom of God from them and give it to another nation. And, of course, he's talking about taking it from the, the Jews and giving it to the Gentiles. And we see in the book of Acts where uh, a big portion, a large portion of that book is about Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. For the last 2,000 years, the church has, been, has become primarily a Gentile church. Now, there are a lot of Jews that are saved, and we thank God for that. But by and large, the church is into this modern day, present day, a Gentile church. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles, he's talking about something definite. He's talking about something tangible. He's talking about something that's dis distinct and can be identified. But what is this gospel of the kingdom? If the disciples were in instructed to preach the gospel of the kingdom, what is it that they were instructed to, to preach or teach? Well, we'll have to let Jesus explain to us himself, define it for us himself. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He's defining the kingdom of God for us right here. He says that the kingdom of God is that the will of God would be done in the earth just like it is in heaven. 
that struck me with, uh, as such a revelation, however many years ago it came. Because here Jesus is identifying what we should all know and understand anyway, which is since God never changes, God would be the same and his will would be the same for us here on the earth as it is for us when we get to heaven. Now we know in heaven there's nothing that can hurt or harm mankind in any way whatsoever. We know that there's no sickness and disease. There's no presence of the, of the, the, of the devil or of evil in any way whatsoever. And since God is eternal and never changes, why would we expect his will to be different here on the earth? He certainly created the earth without sin and, and death. He created the earth and there was no presence of sickness or anything that could harm man. And the Bible tells us very specifically in Romans chapter 5 that it was by Adam's sin that death entered the sin, enter, uh, into the scene and came, and the results of death and the consequences of sin were made known to mankind and held mankind in bondage. But that never was God's plan. The Bible tells us that God created man to have authority on the earth. Well, since, man, since God never changes, even though man sinned, God's will for man didn't change. We sometimes get the idea that man lost his authority to Satan. Because Satan identifies himself as the God of this world. He identifies himself in the temptation of Jesus as having control over governments and mankind. I'm sure that the devil would want us to think that he's in charge. But the reality is God's plan didn't change for man just because man sinned. Man has authority on the earth and remains the one in authority on the earth. And Jesus spent a lot of time talking about and teaching that. So what did the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom look like? Well, we see a little bit. We see at least one example in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus came to his own hometown of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4 verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Then he starts to read from Isaiah 61, as we understand. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus said to his audience in Nazareth, the first time that he went back there since he'd been anointed by the Holy Ghost after the baptism of John in the Jordan River. Now, I think we can accept or at least consider that this was his normal pattern of operation. The first time he went to a city, in other words, Jesus must have started with this same message from Isaiah 61 to identify that God has sent someone, even though he did not proclaim himself to be the Messiah or use those terms, 
everybody knows that those scriptures were referring to and pertaining to the Messiah that they were looking to come, looking forward to come. So when Jesus says this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears, he's saying these are talking about me. Well, they had a hard time with that. All that bear him witness wondered at the gracious words which he proceeded out of, which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is, the, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in this country. So he's already been to Capernaum. Apparently there were, his fame had spread abroad back to Nazareth. They'd heard the healings and the miracles that he was able to accomplish in Capernaum. But then Mark's account says that they rejected him. Mark chapter 6 verse 5 says, and he could there in, talking about in Nazareth, do no mighty work. Save he lays his hands on a few sick folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now you can see the difference between Capernaum and Nazareth. Now in Nazareth, Jesus comes upon a, a group of people that because they think they know his history, they think they know where he came from, they think that Joseph is his father, and they were, everybody was aware that the Messiah was prophesied to come as being born from a virgin or born of a virgin. They thought that Jesus could not qualify to be the Messiah or to be the one that these verses are talking about and referring to because they thought they knew his family. Now in Capernaum, where Jesus has been already, apparently they accepted what he said. Apparently they responded in some manner that allowed Jesus to do the miracles and the healings that he was sent for. They may have done nothing more than said, well, that's cool, we don't understand all these things, but if you say so, okay. And that, the simple act of obedience, that simple act of faith, would have opened the door for the mighty miracles that even Nazareth has heard about. But the people in Nazareth wouldn't do that. The people in Nazareth would not accept on any level whatsoever that someone could be present on the earth at that time to fulfill the prophecies that he's just referred to. I want you to see with me how Jesus instructed his disciples in Luke chapter 9, for example. In verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice how many times the Bible talks about the kingdom of God as being a part of, or healing the sick, being part of the kingdom of God. So Jesus told his disciples, he sent them out to heal the sick and to preach the gospel. The very next chapter in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where, whether he himself would come. Then he begins to give them certain instructions. Skip down with me to verse 8. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, 
eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. It only depends on them accepting or receiving the disciples into their city. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not. In other words, if they treat the disciples the same way that Nazareth treated Jesus, go your ways into the streets of the same and say, Even the dust of, very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now again, Jesus identified or defined the kingdom of God as the will of God being done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Folks, the gospel of the kingdom that was preached before Jesus went to the cross was the message, the truth, the reality that because God is good, and he created the earth without sin, without the consequences of sin, without any form of death whatsoever. That creation account describes God and his purpose for man on the earth. That's the way God always wanted it to be. He wanted man to have authority and he wanted man to enjoy a perfect existence here on the earth. The sin of Adam and Eve didn't change that. The sin of Adam and Eve could not have changed God's character and nature because it never changes. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that God is eternal, that he never changes, that there's not even a shadow of turning in him. No variableness whatsoever. God wants you to live in above sin and above the consequences of sin. And he wanted that from the beginning for mankind. When God gave the law to Moses for the people, he established something that was perfect in and of itself. The law of Moses was not flawed. It was perfect and would bring man into a position where he could stand before God without a sense of guilt or shame. The only problem is nobody could keep it. The problem was because of the sin nature that it invaded the flesh of all mankind as a result of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. It created in us that presence of sin in our spirits, that which caused mankind to spiritually die, affected his body in such a way that it was impossible for man to keep the law. And so the law became just a, a, a teaching tool to show man that he was not able to do what was necessary to be able to stand in God's presence. Wasn't anything wrong with the law. The law was not faulty. It's that man didn't have the ability in and of himself to keep it. So Jesus came to the earth. He came to restore God's will in the earth. That's why over and over and over again, Jesus kept saying, the works that I do, they're not of myself, but I'm doing the work of that, him that sent me. He talked about how he was sent to do God's will. I came not to do my own will, he said, but the will of him that sent me. Now, what was the purpose for that? 
Jesus didn't magnify himself. Jesus, as we've seen, and as the Bible describes to us in the last couple of verses of Matthew chapter 7, it says that the people were astonished at his doctrine, at his teaching, not at him, but at, his, at the doctrine, the things that he taught. Well, what did he teach? He taught them how to hold and how to exercise authority on the earth. Now in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story, the parable of the sower sows the word. And in Mark chapter 4, it identifies that this is parable shows the entirety of operating in the kingdom of God. In verse 11, as he begins to describe and explain the parable to the disciples, he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of of the kingdom of God. In other words, there's something about the kingdom of God that's unknown. Now, what is the unknown? The unknown is how to tap into it. So he says, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. And then he begins to explain the parable of the sower sowing the word, how that if man, any man, any woman, any human being will make their priority in life the word of God and not allow themselves to be distracted or offended, then that word of God will produce the will of God in your life just as God has ordained it in heaven. In other words, we can live above sickness. We can live above sin. We can live above poverty. We can live above all the things that would steal our joy here on the earth. And Jesus identified that as being the will of God for us. That being exactly the way that God wants us to live here on the earth. Well, why wouldn't God want us to live that way? How could it make sense? How could it fit the truth that God is unchanging? If God wanted us to live in sickness and disease and poverty and distress here on the earth and look forward to the day when we could go to heaven when all that stuff will pass away. Yet that's exactly how much of the church world thinks God is operating. God, desi God desired and created the earth in such a way for man to have authority. I don't know about you, but I don't expect to have a whole lot of authority in heaven. What will there be anything to, what will we have authority to exercise over? There's no devil. There's no work of the devil. So what, what purpose would there be in having authority in heaven? It's not for us to exercise authority over other people. So what would be the purpose for authority in heaven? Folks, it's here on the earth that we need authority. It's in the here and now that we've got an enemy that comes against us and works against us. And one of the greatest tools of the, of the work of the devil is not only does he bring sickness to our bodies, not only does he try to bring destruction or lack or poverty into our lives, but he's lied to the church so that much of the church world thinks it's God that's doing it. Now, folks, there's one thing for sure. You can't defeat your enemy if you don't know him. 
And much of the church world is in that very spot. They don't know who's doing bad things in their life. They don't know where the destruction of their lives come from. So they're left to pray impotent prayers. Father, if it be your will, have this problem taken away from me. Well, if we don't know what the will of God is, and the key to understanding the mystery of God is the understanding of faith, then how can we exercise faith for something we don't know is God's will? It's impossible. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You remember the great scriptures in Mark chapter 11 where Jesus curses the fig tree and the next morning the tree is dried up from the roots. Peter calls, to his, calls it to Jesus' attention. Master, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered in verse 22, have faith in God. How can you have faith in God if you don't know what his will is? He goes on to say, For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, folks, these are the laws, the principles that govern the law of faith. When did those principles work? Did this law of faith just begin when Jesus came to the earth and operated under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to perform signs and wonders and miracles? Well, we see all throughout the Old Testament that the same law of faith either brought blessing or defeat to the people of Israel. You remember when the Bible tells us the story of Israel coming to the edge of the promised land. They send the 12 spies into the promised land to see what is going on in there. Ten of the twelve spies come back with an evil report. And that evil report said that we can't do what God said we can do. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, held fast to the word. They were the hundredfold good ground, as described in Mark chapter 4. And they tried to encourage the people or influence the people not to be affected by or distracted by the circumstances that they saw inside the promised land. The promise of God was still true. And it was the will of God for them to take the land. But they believed the majority report. And God told them through Moses, say unto them, as they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now, folks, that's Mark eleven twenty three. That's Mark eleven twenty three in action. They spoke against the things of God. They spoke against the will of God. And so as a result, the thing that God wanted for them, the blessing, the goodness of the promised land that God had prepared for them, didn't become theirs in reality. That whole generation died in the wilderness over the next 40 years. Now that's exactly the principle that Jesus refers to in Mark chapter 11. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Everybody in that story of Israel and the promised land, everybody in that story got exactly what they said. 
the law of faith work just like Jesus said that it would. So when did Jesus find out about this law of faith that he tells us about in Mark eleven twenty three? He's been living that all of his life. He's been living that even before he went into the ministry. You remember we looked over in John chapter 2 sometime recently about Jesus at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother comes to him and said they're out of wine. And Jesus seems to rebuke her. He says, woman, what have I to do with this? My time is not yet. But she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Now, what would cause her to respond in that way if Jesus has not been living according to Mark eleven twenty three 23 all of his life? Mark eleven twenty three 23 has worked in Jesus' life from the time that he was old enough to know to speak. And that performance of Mark eleven twenty three. Must have created some significant results throughout his life for his mother to, to tell the servants that his words are to be obeyed. She's seen supernatural things take place as a result of Jesus, not just in his earthly ministry, but before he ever entered into his earthly ministry. Whatever he says to you, do it. Carry out his words. She has no idea what he's going to tell them to do. She has no idea about his next action. But you remember he told the servants to fill up the water pots. Now these water pots are the water that was used to clean people's feet as they came into the, the wedding feast. So he tells them to fill the water pots with water. And then he turns the water into wine. These are the laws and the principles of the laws of faith. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Your words carry power. Your words carry power in your life just like God's words created the world. Now turn with me to, to Acts chapter 14. Let's start in verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore they abode speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done in their hands or by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Nikonia, into the region that lieth round about. 
And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, folks, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This law of faith, this presence of faith, which takes hold of the kingdom of God and all the benefits therein, comes by hearing the word of God. Now, this is the first time Paul's been to this area. This first time he's ever been in Lystra. And so he's preaching the gospel. If the man had faith to be healed, then by definition, he must have heard Paul speaking about healing. Now, the modern day church separates the forgiveness of sin and calls that salvation in and of itself. It is salvation. But salvation is an all-inclusive term. It doesn't just mean redemption or forgiveness of sin. But it also means to be healed, to be made safe, to be made whole, to be made sound. It means to deliver. It means to rescue. Paul's gospel included healing. Now, there are a lot of people in the modern-day church that will make a big deal about, well, we just preach what Paul preached. We just preach the gospel. I went on a, as a chaperone, I went on the fourth grade trip to Sacramento. You remember when kids were back in school? Well, way back when my kids were back in school. I went on the fourth grade trip with them to Sacramento. And there was another dad that was on the trip as a chaperone as well, a bunch of us. He got to talking to me about the things of God. He asked me what I did. And I told him that I was a pastor of a church, this church. And so he wanted some more information. And so he talked about how he got saved. He got saved in a church that was spirit-filled. And the thing that drew his attention or made the decision for him was when he saw people healed by the power of God. But then he told me the church he was in at that time, was just a church that focused on the important things. They just preached the gospel. And so I asked him, I said, well, when you say gospel, do you mean the gospel of Acts chapter 14? He said, what's Acts 14? And so I quoted to him these verses. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man, impotent man at Lystra, being a cripple who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. I said, you mean that gospel? I said, see, Paul, he sputtered a little bit, and I could tell he wasn't ready to answer. I said, see, Paul's gospel included healing. Paul's gospel included the truth that just as Jesus was made sin 
he was also made sickness. Not because of his own sin or his own sickness. He didn't have cancer on the cross. But God laid upon him the punishment for sin and sickness and poverty for that matter as well. Well, you could well understand that he wound up not giving me an answer at all. Because the gospel of the kingdom is an all-inclusive work of Jesus that set us free not only from sin, but from sickness and poverty as well. Now this crippled guy, this guy that's never walked, never taken a step on his own, this crippled guy accepted the truth. Now he's never heard about Jesus before. It's the first time Paul's ever been there, and Paul's the first one to take any missionary journeys. So he's never heard anything about Jesus. He's never learned about the laws of faith. He's never learned about what to do to exercise your faith or to operate in faith. He doesn't know any of those things. The only thing he knows is that Jesus paid the price for his sins and sickness. That's all he knows. He has to know that because that's what he had faith for. If, Paul, if uh, the impotent man had faith to be baptized in water, then we would have to know that Paul must have preached on baptism in water. But because the faith that was exercised or the faith that was present in this man was faith to be healed, then he has to have heard healing preached. By definition, he has to have heard healing preached. Well, what's he going to do? He's got faith to be healed. But he hasn't been instructed on what to do with your faith and how to make it work. So Paul helps him along and gives him a command. He tells him, stand upright on your feet. And the man leaped and walked. Now, folks, if the man had not been prompted by Paul to stand up on his feet, with a, a heart full of faith, he could have still missed out on what God had for him. Because faith must be acted on. How do you act on your faith? Either by, either by word or actions, or words and actions. Thank God Paul knew what to do. Now folks, this is what the, the kingdom of God includes. Every person, every sick person, every person affected by sickness, every person affected by deformity, every person affected by paralysis, it is God's will for them to be healed. The Bible is very specific about Jesus. Surely he was born. our peace was upon him that's paying the price for, for poverty and lack and with his stripes we are healed now for whom did Jesus pay this price 
He bore our sickness. He bore our diseases. Now what does our mean? For Isaiah, to quote the prophecy or to speak the word or to write down the reality of what Jesus did, he used a term that was all-inclusive. That means God always wants people to be well. God is no respecter of persons, which means he doesn't pick you to be healed and me to be sick. He always wants the best for all of us. Otherwise, he would be a respecter of persons. God's not picking winners and losers. He's made us all winners through Jesus. So this man heard Paul speak. Paul steadfastly beholding him. He must have stopped in his message and just started looking at him closely because he perceived that the man had faith to be healed. It, the Bible really doesn't even tell us if Paul ever finished his message. Because as soon as these things happened, as soon as the man leaped and walked at Paul's command, as soon as he released his faith and put it into action, it brought miraculous results to his body. And after that, Paul had to speak to them in very plain terms because they're thinking, they're idol worshipers, just like everybody else in the world was at that time. They're calling on Greek gods and thinking that Paul and Barnabas are gods themselves. And so Paul has to stop them. He has to explain to them, this is all about the name of Jesus. The power is not in them. The apostles didn't have some specific inherent power because they were the first generation of the church. They didn't have some special place with God, some special place of holiness. They were human beings just like you and I are. So we don't know if Paul ever really finished his message. But what a way to have your sermon interrupted. What does God want for us? The very same and exact thing. He's looking for men and women, boys and girls of any age, of any race, from any location. He's looking for people to do exactly what he was looking for the people in Nazareth to do, just to accept the claim that Jesus is the Messiah and that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Folks, the great gospel, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God has come to us because Jesus has accomplished and finished the sacrifice for all of mankind.
I'm fully expecting the same thing to happen in these last days as happened in Paul's ministry. If they don't happen in the same manner in which they did in Paul's a claim of justice to hold against God. Why would he want more to happen for the early days of the church, the first generation of the church, than for the generation that we're in today? And all it takes is that simple law of faith, that simple principle that governs the law of faith. Whosoever shall say, unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, there's no power in heaven, earth, or hell that can stop the law of faith from working when we do what the Bible says to do. I'm looking for miracles. I'm looking for signs and wonders I'm looking based on God's word not just because I want it to happen but based on God's word I'm looking for this gospel of the kingdom to be preached in all the earth as a witness that word witness means with proof or evidence I'm looking for the proof and the evidence not because I don't believe but because people need to be ministered to and people need to be set free and people need to be delivered from the bondage of the devil and the Bible says that Jesus who is the same yesterday today and forever was manifest for the specific purpose of destroying the works of the devil not just to the devil in his day on the earth but the work that the devil's still doing in the earth today would you join me in believing God for these things let's all stand Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord for a moment. Father, we see your word, and we know your word is your will. So we recognize that just as Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost in power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, in the same way you've sent us into this present-day earth, Jesus said we would do the same works that he did and even greater works. So, Father, we come to you expecting for every sick person to be healed, every crippled person to be made well, every blind eye opened, every lame man or woman rescued from destruction, every cancer to disappear, every disease and every sickness in every way possible to be destroyed because of the anointing of God to be destroyed by the name of Jesus Father we know this is your will because we read it in your word we know that you're not holding out on us but in many cases we haven't done what we were supposed to do So, Father, we repent from the things that we should not have done or the things that we should have done that we didn't know. And we ask you for signs and wonders and miracles, healing signs, healing miracles, 
We pray, Father, that there would be such a surge of faith. People strengthened with might by your spirit in their inner man. So that sicknesses are destroyed. Diseases are removed. We thank you, Father, for redeeming our lives from destruction. And causing us to recognize the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Father, it doesn't matter to me who does what work. The only thing that really matters is that people are set free. Not so that we make a name for ourselves, but so that we glorify the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus and the name of Jesus only. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your great work accomplished through the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. Say it with me. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's lift our hands and thank him one more time. We bless you, Lord. We magnify your holy name. Thank you, Jesus, for healing the sick, raising up those that are crippled. Signs and wonders and miracles done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The folks come on back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock for a night of worship. We'll look forward to seeing you. Have a great day.